0: Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with James Bradford, author of the new book, Poppies, Politics and Power, Afghanistan and the Global History of Drugs and Diplomacy. James is assistant professor of history at Berkeley College of Music and adjunct lecturer at Babson College. He has published in the Journal of Iranian Studies, Oxford University Handbook of Drug History, and Illegal Cannabis Cultivation in the World. We spoke to James about the long history of opium production in Afghanistan, how Western tourists and hippies in the 1960s helped expand Afghanistan's global trafficking networks, and why drug control has been fundamental in shaping the conditions of statelessness and lawlessness that we now see in Afghanistan today. Hi, James. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you on the podcast. Your new book is out, Poppy's Politics and Power, Afghanistan and the Global History of Drugs and Diplomacy. Um, your book explores the history of the Afghan tra- drug trade during the 20th century. Um, and with some of the, the statistics I saw in your book, it said Afghan, Afghanistan exports roughly 80% of the world's illicit opium. And I thought, as well as a lot of people thought, that, that this opium industry was relatively new. Uh, brought upon by war and conflict, but your research very tellingly shows that that is not the case. Uh, what did you find?
1: Yeah, so I part of this was what I, I saw as a real uh, uh, hole in the historiography, it was this idea that the drug trade sort of started uh, in 1979 and 1980 with the Afghan-Soviet war. And it sort of reinforces this idea that Afghanistan is Sort of this hermit kingdom, this 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 isolated mountain landscape that's just sort of outside of the the interactions of of the world. And what my research really found was that um, the drug trade, in particular, was very much a part of the regional and global dynamics of the drug trade. Um, so, starting the early 20th century with uh, the British Empire in India. Um, really sort of discovered that Afghan uh, hashish, charts, and opium were making their ways into India uh, and then into Iran and in the West. And eventually by the 1970s, you start to have a larger, uh, you know, a real growth in, in hashish and um, opium making its way to other markets beyond just sort of the region, Iran and India
0: nice nice what in that same vein what role did you see with western tourists and hippies in the 60s and 70s how did they what role did they play in expanding the the afghanistan uh, global drug trafficking networks
1: yep i so i thought that was really sort of critical for the illicit market so one of the earlier chapters that i deal with is that um the afghan government under nader shah um actually exported opium in a quasi legal fashion Uh, in fact the united states was buying afghan opium during world war ii and part of the reason why afghanistan ended up making opium illegal in 1945 was to really enter the global arena to create a diplomatic relationship with the united states um, and to get aid money and so the, the, the hippies in the 1960s and 70s I think are important because they are the illicit drug trade and I think this is where you start to have the growth of these sort of two parallel systems where under Richard Nixon there's this real effort to more forcefully apply international drug control systems mm-hmm. and that's coinciding with the growth of the illicit drug trade and the demand for hashish and opium and heroin is growing not only in the west but globally and so i i saw that as a really sort of critical point in the early globalization of the illicit drug trade that really sort of set the foundation for the following years where what, what is very, you know, is discussed in great detail by a lot of different authors. And of course, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars in counter-narcotics efforts now to deal with the drug trade that's really so prevalent in, in this country.
0: So when you say the illicit, uh, the, the, the legal uh, selling of opium, was this primarily for um, medical purposes or was it for personal use, you know?
1: Yeah, it was it was largely medical. Throughout the 1930s, Afghanistan was shipping opium to Thailand, to Germany, to England, to France, and it was largely to support the growing pharmaceutical industries that were creating morphine and morphine-based opioids. Um, and it's it's really interesting in in that sense because Afghanistan had a nascent uh, healthcare industry, and so one of the things that they saw as almost exploitative was the fact that they were exporting drugs but were not allowed to grow their own drugs for their own use. And that is part of this sort of deliberation that occurs in the 1940s is – the Afghans going to the Americans and to, uh, other groups, the English and the French and saying, we would like to be able to grow our own opium for our own pharmaceutical industries. And so you do have this sort of element of this, this sort of imperial legacy that's functioning through pharmaceutical companies where they don't want Afghans to compete with them to create their own pharmaceutical drugs. Of course, there's a great deal of relevancy there given the fact that, um, these ideas have been posited by other groups recently that Afghanistan should be a producer of pharmaceutical drugs. So it's just sort of really interesting that this discussion was happening 70 years ago.
0: Wow, wow! So you're saying in the 40s, then they decide let's let's make it illegal, uh, and then and then they get more Western aid, particularly uh, American aid. Um, but then that creates this you kind know, almost a catch-22 in a way. So drug control creates statelessness and lawlessness, how how are they interconnected?
1: Yeah, so I see this as one of the really sort of important features is that when you take, I mean, drug control is always problematic. I mean, it's even problematic in the United States, which is one of the major Uh, countries that enforces um, drug control laws. It doesn't even work in this country. So they expect it to work in Afghanistan. It's also really interesting. But there's cultural features. And I think that's sort of like a really important thing is that, um, and I point this out in one of the chapters on Badakhshan, is that opium was a really important product in this country beyond sort of this Western notion of drugs as addictive products, that in Badakhshan they were using it for food, they were using it to make soaps. And it was a monocrop, it was really a primary tool. And what's really interesting is that when Americans and UN advisors are going into these, these really sort of deep discussions about, is everyone in this province an addict? And there's almost an assumption that that's the case, is that they're all addicted to drugs because it was so prevalent in this province. Um, and when you end up, not necessarily forcing, because Afghan, the Afghan government realizes that they can make, they can get a lot of money, aid money, uh, by virtue of enforcing drug control, is that that doesn't work. It didn't work in these cases. And that creates sort of political consequences. And I think that, that what you start to see really in the 1970s is that Afghanistan starts to enforce drug control more forcefully through um, really you know, anti-smuggling units, police units, customs controls, and they become more divisive and they start to create chaos with groups that had been existing almost in a sort of transient sense beyond boundaries. Mobility was a really sort of critical feature of their life and drug control is now limiting that. And so it's sort of reading along the line and sort of recognizing um, how much drug control factors into creating animosity and resistance towards the state that, you know, ironically, shapes statelessness and lawlessness and those conditions of chaos that are now more prevalent in the Afghan sort of contemporary situation.
0: Now you talk about the contemporary situation. Uh, you know, your look is a is a history, but where 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 are we now? What's the what's the situation now, and where where do you see it progressing or not progressing in the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I part of this, I think, for my book was. Uh, there's a lot of lessons in this. I think we, we we're sort of repeating our, ourselves quite a bit. Um, and I think on multiple lines, I think when you think about economic aid, um, my chapter on Badakhshan talks about that, is that they actually enforce an eradication of opium. And the problem was, is the Afghan government never really sort of followed through with economic development. And as a result, opium, people have to go back to opium because there's just not a lot of other opportunities. And you see that again. Um, and eradications are, are sort of the extreme of drug control in the case uh, of the sort of supply-side theories that you have um, in Afghanistan today. And they're continually devised. Um, they create animosity against the state. And it's counterintuitive in the sense that the real objective in Afghanistan is creating a stable democratic institution. I mean, ideally, that's what they're trying to create. But drug control often creates animosity within uh, rural landscapes that are dependent on these drug trades. And you see it in Badakhshan. you see it in Hellman in 1972. Um, So that's one element. I think the other element is, and I talk about this in the last chapter, the Hellman chapter, is that the Americans were building capitalism. They're building a market-based agricultural economy and how can they expect uh, farmers not to participate in the entirety of that agricultural economy including drugs which are valuable lucrative products um and you know it's not that you know u.s officials and usaid were there you know it's like a conspiracy theory they're trying to grow opium to drug people but it's this idea that you can't it that that sort of Cultural imposition of assuming that people are going to uh, not grow drugs because drugs are bad, or at least from your perspective, doesn't quite translate on the
0: ground in these situations that you
1: have in Afghanistan.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, you have a fascinating uh, topic that you've gone into uh, great depth um, Poppies, Politics, and Power, your new book available now. Um, any last words you want to say about your new book? Looks great. Wow go out, and read, it. Go yeah, out yeah. and read
1: it yeah yeah i'm excited it's, it's you know it's been 11 years so i'm i'm uh
0: excited to finally get it out there excellent excellent yeah well we're excited to be publishing it so yes. thank you for taking the time thank uh, uh to speak with us and uh, congratulations again on your new book
1: awesome thank you Jonathan. all right thanks take care james you too
0: that was james bradford author of the new book poppy's politics and power Afghanistan and the Global History of Drugs and Diplomacy. As a loyal listener to the podcast, we'd like to offer you a special 30% discount on the new book. To receive your discount, please go to cornellpress.cornell.edu and use the promo code 09POD. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.